Hey, 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 welcome to another Pastor Duke podcast. Thank you for tuning me in today. I pray God will use me to be a blessing. It's Christmas season here in upstate New York, and uh, we're actually having a very mild uh, December. Thank you, Lord, for that. Fuel oil prices, $6.37 a gallon. I'm... I'm ready to head to Sarasota, Florida, but uh, it's a Christmas season, and as I look back over my 44 years of Christmas in New York, my congregation has a favorite. I'm going to share that with you today by way of podcast. Here we go. You call it Christmas. I call it a nightmare. I was there. It wasn't pretty at all. My name is Joseph. Some of you kind of halfway know some things about my story, but today you're going to hear it in my own words. I'm kind of one of those woulda, coulda, shoulda stories. I was born in Bethlehem, but my family soon moved up north into the Galilee region, settling in a small town called Nazareth. It was surely a beautiful place just a few miles up above the Sea of Galilee, paradise on earth. It was a beautiful place to live, but not an easy place to live. You see, we were an occupied nation under Roman rule with some seasons of tyranny on top of unjust taxation. It was nearly impossible to get ahead financially in our town in in my time. But we all did the best we could with the circumstances we were dealt. That's where our Jewish faith set us apart from all other people groups of the world. You see, the pagans had their pantheon of a thousand gods, but we worship the true one and only creator of heaven and earth. We had the written word of God. We had our prophets. We had our fabulous temple in Jerusalem. We had our blessed hope of a coming Messiah, a redeemer, a savior who would come into our world. All of our prophets spoke of him. He was our hope. He will rid our people of the evil occupiers once and for all. He comes to redeem our nation. This is where the woulda, coulda, shoulda thing kind of came into my story. You see, in our sacred scriptures, we have this amazing human timeline of genealogies. You know, so-and-so begat so-and-so and all the days of, you know, how it goes. Which takes us all the way back to Adam and Eve, all of which was foundational for our Jewish timeline built upon that, beginning with the genealogy of our patriarch Abraham. These genealogical records get pretty tedious, I understand, but they link everything from Abraham to this very day. There were 14 generations, I find this so interesting, 14 generations from Abraham to David, our great King David, 14 more generations from David to our nation's fall to Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, the destruction of our temple, and 13 more generations to me. Crazy as it may be, I am in the direct lineage of King David. I think that's pretty cool. You ask me what that means? Well, the Romans would say that means nothing. We, uh, we own you guys. You're, you Jews fell to Babylon, 586 B.C. They fell to the Persians. They fell to the Greeks under Alexander the Great. 
and all of y'all fell under uh, the power of Rome. We defeated all of you. We're in control. If your God is so great, why don't you guys rule the world? You see, the Romans have uh, their gods of power, but we Jews have our God of love. I'd take our God any day over all the pantheon of their gods. In simple terms, all of this genealogical stuff means this. If it hadn't been for the past nearly 600 years of tyrannical occupation since our last King Zedekiah, yours truly, little old me, Joseph the carpenter from Nazareth, would be the official bloodline king of Israel. How about that for a woulda, coulda, shoulda story? But it just... Uh, was kind of a fun thing for my family and I. My dad was number 12. I'm number 13 in this line. But <laughs> we're still peasants living in an obscure village. And so all that really kind of meant nothing until, oh my, my obscure life in this small Galilean village was about to explode with unsuspected drama and, yeah, some great hardships. When God showed up in my life, things got way harder and not easier. Here's how things unfolded for me. From the natural everyday nobody from nowheresville into the realm of the supernatural. My bloodline would start a series of amazing events that in the moment I had no clue to what was going on. Many of you have heard parts of my story. You call it the Christmas story. You have your silver bells, the glittering lights. You have your songs, your gifts, your feasts. Well, there was none of that in my story. Our people were sensing and longing for and needing our Messiah. The scholars had begun a 483-year countdown. Of course, they were divided. Some people... The more liberal scholars thought this is crazy, but the more conservative scholars took Daniel's prophecy literally and began a 483-year countdown from Daniel's timeline when he said in Daniel 9, 24 to 27, put 69 weeks on your Jewish clock. Start your clock when a decree is signed to rebuild Jerusalem. And guess what? That happened. Uh, Artaxerxes, king of Persia, signed a decree and not only that, but he gave the money to Nehemiah to go back home for us, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. And so the countdown, 69 weeks or 69 sevens, which would be 483 years, that countdown had begun until Messiah, something messianic might be brewing. You see, it was 450 years had passed to my time on that 483-year plan, which means there are 33 years left until Messiah the Prince, if you take Daniel literally. Some of our Jewish leaders did, some of them didn't, and of course, as always, there is division. I was kind of hoping the conservatives were right because I'm number 13 and it hasn't meant anything for the past 450 years, but hey, it, it's a nice thing to have in the back of your mind, which I did. So I was holding on to that messianic hope like most of the commoners were. I mean, where else could we go? Who else, to whom else could we turn? They mostly laughed at me for my bloodline if I ever brought that up, 13 generation. Yeah, we, big, big deal. Go back to work, Joseph. Leave us alone. 
But there was that 14, 14, 14 thing. Of course, now it's 13 with me. And I just kind of had that and think about it from time to time. Kind of made me wonder what might happen with my first son, who would be the 14th generation. If God were to continue that um, and hook that up with what Daniel said, the 69 weeks, the 450 years had passed, could those be connected? Well, time will tell. So here was my big blessing, the fun part of my story here. There was a beautiful young lady not too far down the street. I had my eye on her for a few years now. She was growing up, and she was gorgeous. Her name was Mary. She smiled sweetly and shyly, kind of hit her face when I would walk by her house on my way to work. And uh, I always tried to sit across from her in the synagogue each uh, Sabbath day so we could sort of kind of make eye contact, and she would look away shyly. Oh, she was so beautiful. She had to know that I had a crush on her. I wasn't trying to hide anything. So I'm sure she wasn't shocked when my father knocked on her father's door and asked his daughter's hand in marriage for me, his son Joseph. I had worked hard and saved up uh, a decent uh, financial dowry uh, for payment for her hand in marriage, which was our custom. And it was a big, beautiful, screaming, yes, they accepted our proposal. Our espousal was official. Date was set for our marriage. Man, I was on cloud nine. I was one happy dude. Mary and I were counting down the days, and all the girly girl wedding plans were in full swing. Then it happened. For no known reason to me, Mary leaves town. She goes 90 miles south, I heard, to Jerusalem to visit her cousin Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah, who was a priest in the Holy Temple. Uh, Word was circulating that Elizabeth, well past the age of childbearing and had never had a child before, was now pregnant. And I'm guessing maybe that's why Mary went. She didn't tell me. She headed uh, down there to to connect with her cousin uh, Elizabeth. So Mary's off and running, and uh, it's your family. And I'm like, well, (laughs) what about our marriage plans? Are they on hold? Uh, I was a little nervous. It just didn't seem to be in character of Mary. She was kind of quiet and shy and not an aggressive person. gal in any way and i was expecting her back maybe in a week or two because it would take several days just to get down there no she did not return in two weeks a month passes still no mary two months pass and then three months mary returns to my shock to my horror mary is pregnant My world was shattered. My anger was raging. How could Mary do this to me? She was held to be one of the sweetest and purest girls in all of Nazareth. She had a story for me. I didn't even want to hear it. It was so, I was so humiliated and, and man, I, what am I going to do? Our Jewish law says that I have the right to have her stoned to death for her fornication and breach of our laws of espousal. Some of my friends were pushing me to do that. Don't take this from her. Make her pay. They yelled in my face, man, I'm just, I'm not going to kill this beautiful young woman. I'm horrified, but I, I still, I still love her and I'm crushed. I'm humiliated. I'm angry, but I don't hate her. I, I'm just, I don't know. 
she was so passionate. She, with tears, she told me her version of the story. An angel named Gabriel, yeah, 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 came and told her that she was chosen of God to birth the messianic child, the anointed one, the Messiah, the virgin that Isaiah the prophet spoke of would be with child. And I'm like, come on, man, this is crazy. You fornicated, and now you're trying to drag our sacred scriptures in as a cover story for your sin. You say the child was conceived by the Holy Ghost. Come on, uh, get out of here. I wasn't ready for all of this. I, I'm not going to kill her, but and I'm, I'm done with all this craziness. I, I just had to get alone. I try to process this tragedy. What am I going to do? My world was felt like it was ending. The rug is jerked out from beneath me. My dreams are shattered. I felt God had forsaken me. Man, I'd love to get my hands on this Gabriel guy. Choke him out. My family sensed uh, I needed space. They kept their distance from me that evening. No one tried to talk. I just went to bed and laid there and laid there and laid there, tried to process all this. I went from self-pity to anger and back to self-pity and confusion. Finally, I went to sleep. And that night, to my shock and awe, I had a dream. (laughs) Or might we say, I had a visitation. Uh, guess who shows up in my house that night? Yep, you got it. That guy, Gabriel, he shows up, and he was an angel. I was trembling. He told me to fear not. He told me the exact same story Mary told me. Mary was chosen to carry, deliver, and raise the Christ child, the anointed one. Her story to me is true. She's no fornicator. Oh, I knew she wasn't. I knew she wasn't. She surrendered. Beat unto me according to your will. She surrendered her beautiful body, soul, and spirit to our holy God. She was chosen to be the Messiah's mommy, and I'm uh, like uh, chosen to be the Messiah's earthly daddy. I was a bit overwhelmed, as you might guess. Forget going back to sleep that night. Man, I'm so embarrassed that I didn't believe Mary when she told me, and oh, how she needs me. Oh, uh, how I need her. I'm I'm thrilled. I'm a bit scared. I'm realizing it's going to be us against the world, just like me. No one believed Mary. They're they're not going to believe us. They're not going to believe me either. They're just they'll mock the Gabriel story. They'll, they'll ignore the very scriptures. They say that they believe even as it is fulfilled before their very eyes. I kind of knew this is not going to be an easy road to traverse. I went straight to Mary's house. When the sun came up, she was up and uh, she could tell by my face I, too, had been visited. She forgave me in an instant for uh, falsely accusing her of immorality. We were now one in a whole new way against an unbelieving people who claim that they do believe. How crazy is all of this? I took the day off from work, and Mary and I had some serious and long conversations throughout that day. We had a lot to talk about our plans are being completely rearranged. 
answer to most of our questions was, <laughs> we have no clue. We do not know. We're just going to have to take it a day at a time, keep our eyes on the Lord, and worship our way through. Our parents had already canceled the lavish wedding plans. What we planned to be a huge celebration would just be a shamed couple doing a simple civil marriage union not married already with child, viewed by God as chosen, but viewed by man and the religious society we were part of as shameful fornicators. Everything had changed. Most of our friends shunned us. Some believed Mary had gotten pregnant on her trip to Jerusalem. Most just thought it was me. Couldn't wait. Got her pregnant before you were married. Sent her away to Jerusalem to cover the whole thing up. It's all good, I guess. The important thing is this. God knows, and that's what's most important. Mary and I opened the sacred scrolls together every chance we got. We read Isaiah's prophecy over and over, written 600 years ago. Behold, a virgin will conceive a child, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then just a, a few uh, verses later, continuing in Isaiah's prophecy, we saw more details about this little baby in Mary's womb. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, when we would read that prophecy from the scriptures, we would just look at each other and shake our heads and say, can you believe it? Well, we had to. It was us and nobody else was buying into our story. We were alone against the world. Overwhelming, surreal. Creator God, the Almighty, sending his son, born of a virgin, and it's all happening in our little village and in Mary's virgin womb. You can't put that into words. Well, we were okay with all the shunning. We kind of got used to that after a while. No real wedding, no gifts, no celebration. Um, but time was passing fast, and the time of the birth was drawing near. Whammo, another huge hardship hits us. There comes a decree from Caesar Augustus that in, from Rome, that all the world should be taxed. And to add insult to injury, every man had to return to the city of his birth to pay the unjust tax. For us, it meant a sudden trip forced upon us to go all the way south to Bethlehem, 95 miles on a donkey with an eight-and-a-half-month pregnant wife. No silver bells there, no sweet songs but it was an arduous trek. Mary was a trooper. She was so uncomfortable and yet never complained. I may have cursed Caesar Augustus' name a couple times along the way, but we had no choice. We knew God was running our lives, and so we just took it day by day, hour by hour, especially on that trek. It made no sense to Mary and I, but we were just running... Um, on adrenaline, running on faith, just putting one foot in front of the other and heading south to Bethlehem. Well, we make it finally to Bethlehem along with hundreds of other angry Jews being forced, just like us, to pay these unjust and inconvenient taxes. We did our paperwork. Uh, we paid our taxes. 
and our worst nightmare became a reality. Mary's water broke. Contractions began. We're almost 100 miles from home. I had distant relatives in town uh, uh, because of my birthright, but they refused to take us in. A fornication couple, no room in our house for that. We went to the inn, and guess what? No room in the inn. I wanted to kill that innkeeper. I'd choke him out. Uh, Mary's crying. I was desperate. The innkeeper's heart kind of softened a bit. He said, let me take you out back and down some steps. There was a cave that they had transitioned into a makeshift stable. He got some fresh hay and some swaddling clothes. You'd call them grave clothes. Said, all the best to you. <laughs> Animals, I had them penned off to the side, laid down some fresh hay, got a little fire going in a safe place at the mouth of the cave. And long story short, oh my, after many horrific hours of crying and tears, we had our baby <laughs> in a stable we knew it would be a boy, <laughs> and he was. Sweet, sweet Mary. Oh, man, you rock. You're awesome. How sad that you have to birth this child under these harsh conditions. Sad and yet glorious all at the same time. How desperate, and yet we felt that holy sense of destiny. We felt our Lord God was with us. It wasn't easy but it was so worth it. We had our baby. He was perfect. Mary seemed to do well. Uh, she birthed our first child with no support but me. <laughs> and no, no midwife, no comfortable beds, no warm water, no clean towels. Our son, God's son, had arrived. A king, but born in a stable. This baby boy is the 14th generation son messiah looks like to me was on time and in line the lamb of god how perfect to be laid in a manger mary fell asleep i was holding the child it wouldn't be a, the quiet night that i suspected from here on out man moments later a band of shepherds came running up the hill from the fields below i felt i felt no danger and they saw my fire uh, at the cave entrance they came running to me oh so excited they had hardly they could hardly speak we came to see the baby i'm like how do you know there's a baby here and they they said, man, as they were trembling, the angels told us, proclaimed that there was born unto us this night in the city of Bethlehem a Savior, Christ the Lord. That very same awe and shock that came upon me that night when Gabriel showed up at my house, that shock and awe was back, baby. And it wasn't just me this time. It's the shepherds along with me. The shock and awe is all over them. This, this, is, this is huge. And yet it was obscure. The king is born, and here comes the shepherds, you know, in our social economic line. That wasn't the best thing to be. But now, at least there are a few others that believe Mary and mine story. They couldn't wait to see our little bundle of joy. 
We had a long talk that night. They wanted to hear our whole story. They were telling us the story of another crazy birth just up in Jerusalem just a few months ago. Yep, Mary's elderly cousin Elizabeth had also birthed a son just a few months back. They named him John. There was a lot more of that story that Mary and I had not yet heard. The father, Zacharias, had been struck uh, with dumbness as he was ministering in the temple, comes out saying, we're going to have a baby boy. They thought he was crazy. Sure enough, Elizabeth conceives, and that's kind of the timing. Mary went down there to see him. Oh, my goodness, this isn't two stories. This is one story. It's all connected. And their child was born and taken to for baby dedication. And at that dedication, old Zechariah's speech returned to him, and he preached this miracle child of ours would be the forerunner of the Messiah. Uh, that's our kid. To make straight for the way of the Lord, that event had shaken much of the believing nation after 400 silent years with no prophets since Malachi. It seemed this waiting may be over. The God of our fathers is moving again in our midst, and it's all about Messiah and his forerunner. After I told them our story and how Mary is cousin to Elizabeth, uh, we connected all of those dots. It's two stories all in one. We sensed none of this was by coinkydink. God was writing the greatest story ever told, and we are smack dab in the middle of it. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't easy but it was awesome. We were tired and cold, rested a couple days in uh, Bethlehem, headed back up for Jerusalem for the dedication of the child. And I remember holding him that night in swaddling clothes and thinking, oh my goodness, is this by chance or is this also tied to something that yet will unfold? A baby born in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's as though he were born to die. I didn't know, but it was amazing. What a night it was. Well, we did head back up to uh, Jerusalem for the dedication on the eighth day. Another big event happens at the dedication. We were met by an aged priest named Zechariah, and he kind of ignored the other people there for a while and put all attention on us. He got a smile on his face that could light up a room. Uh, we were treated with extreme care and curiosity. The priest named Simeon had been told by God that he would be privileged to actually see and dedicate the Holy One to come, the Anointed One, the Messiah. <laughs> He took our baby in his arms and prophesied over him. He said, oh, God, now you can let your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Mary and I marveled. Some people were buying into our story. And another aged priestess, Anna, also prophesied over our child. They were sure our baby Jesus was the promised Messiah. <laughs> After the dedication, Simeon and Anna pulled out the sacred scrolls and they opened them for Mary and I. And they asked, where are you from? We said, Nazareth. They smiled and opened the scroll to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. They said, 
we bet your baby wasn't born in Nazareth. And they showed us from God's word, the Christ child will be born in Bethlehem of Judea, the city of David. Oh, my. We were connecting more dots again. We hated Caesar Augustus for forcing us to go to Bethlehem, but all the while, it was God's plan. Oh, my. What a holy book we've got. God told us what he's going to do, and you know what he did? He did it. He did what he said he would do, and he did it through the likes of nobodies like Mary and myself. Turns out that birthright, that 13th generation thing, that turned out to be something amazing. And yep, the other John story, Zechariah, Elizabeth, he would be the forerunner. My stepson, baby Jesus, 14th generation from the fall of Jerusalem. What a story. And I'm part of it. Not easy, not comfortable, not fun, but amazing. And now there's more and more people buying into our story. And you know what? This story is not all about Mary and I or Zechariah and Elizabeth or the shepherds or the wise men that would come. It's not about Simeon or Anna. It's about you. God wrote this story with you on his mind and in his heart. Christmas wasn't pretty, but it was God's present to you. Let that sink in. (laughs) Let your value be felt. The world tells you you're nothing. You have no value. You're dumb. You're ugly. Your mother dresses you funny. But you are loved in Christmas and all of its mystery and all of its wonder for you for God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son hope you enjoyed the Christmas story God bless tune me in next time please share subscribe all that kind of stuff help me get God's word into our generation and pass it on to the next God bless you love you bye bye